0: The Kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the Kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney.
1: I want to just share this morning on the topic of the remnant of God, the remnant of God. And the passage I'm going to read from is 2 Kings 19. And we're going to look at two verses, verses 30 and 31. 2 Kings 19, 30 and 31. The prophet Isaiah is actually writing this. this is, these are his words. And he's speaking about God's people uh, coming out of captivity and how God is going to restore a people. And preserve a people for his purposes Even though they had gone through uh, Much hardship During this time of captivity God promises that he will have a remnant And that is essentially a band of survivors That will live for his purpose And his destiny for their lives So 2 Kings 19 verses 30 and 31 And the remnant who have escaped Of the house of Judah Shall again take root Downward and bear fruit upward. I want to. I want to read that verse to you again. The remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Now, just look at your neighbor and say, uh, "Root downward and fruit upward." Okay. Now say it like you mean it. Root downward and fruit upward. All right. Now, now uh, everybody say it. Root downward and fruit upward all right so then it says in the next verse for out of jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from mount zion the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this the zeal of the lord of hosts will accomplish this how many know that god is zealous for his people God is zealous for his people. So the Bible specifically references a remnant. Let me give some definition to that term. A remnant is a small remaining quantity of something. It is also what is left of a community after it has undergone destruction. Thirdly, it is a small minority of people that remain faithful to God In a time of apostasy and are so saved matthew chapter 7 13 through 14 and 21 through 23 jesus talks about many and few he said many will say lord lord but few will really enter in many will take the broad road the pathway that leads to destruction but few will go on the narrow road that leads to eternal life few are the remnant. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. You read this repeatedly in the gospels. Many, many, few. Many have ears, few are listening. Many have eyes, but few are really seeing. The few, is the remnant. And in the bible there are many references to the remnant of god for example many came out of egypt but few went into canaan the promised land in the days of elijah there were many people but there were only few seven thousand in fact who had not bowed their knees to baal the bible says after the babylonian captivity when god declared that his people were to go back to Zion and to resettle in their homeland, the scripture tells us that the majority, for the most part, they decided to stay in Babylon. Only a few, a remnant, responded and actually left their comfort zones and went back to Jerusalem and reestablished God's kingdom. During the days of Christ, of Jesus, the religious people, for the most part, rejected the lord but it was a small remnant really that embraced christ and the message of the gospel of the kingdom and when i say it was a small remnant we know there were times when thousands and multitudes great multitudes followed jesus but when you look at the end of his ministry on the earth and we see that jesus is literally speaking to crowds that are going smaller and smaller and smaller. In John chapter 6 verse 66, I know that's kind of like weird 666, six, six, but it's John 6 verse 66. It talks about how many people walked away from Jesus and they turned their backs and they walked away from him because what he called them to, the lifestyle that he told them they needed to commit to was too difficult for them so we see on the day of pentecost in that upper room when the holy spirit comes 120 there were thousands and thousands but then 120 from this remnant we think of gideon's army very similar from this remnant god turned the whole world upside down acts chapter 17 verse 6 So the Bible says in the last days there will be a time of great apostasy and hypocritical religion as well as a demonstration of the glory of God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, Timothy, you should know this. The last days there will be perilous times. The last days there will be perilous or very difficult times Hard to deal with, stressful, pressure cooker type of times is what he's actually saying here. But then in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the day of Pentecost, it says... That, the, that, that Peter responded, he said, this is actually what God said would come to pass in the last days, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So on one hand, darkness. And then on the other hand, the spirit of God being poured out. This is prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord, he will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, those who don't know the Lord, shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So he's speaking here of something happening concurrently on the earth. And he says that this is the last days. As we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, we're we're seeing the darkness is getting darker. The enemy is like he's just doing, you know, what he can He's given it his final shot to try to take out as many people as possible, to deceive as many people as possible, and to wreak havoc on the earth. In the book of Revelation, it says that the devil, knowing his time is short, has come down with great wrath. So we're living in a time where the enemy is trying to do what he can to bring destruction and darkness to the earth. However, the Bible also says that God has a plan. God has a purpose, and his plan is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. So kind of look at it this way. Satan has cast his vote. He said, I want this. I want these people. I want to destroy them. I want them to serve me god has said no they belong to me the earth is mine these people are mine i paid the price for all humanity to come to salvation through the shed blood of my son jesus christ but ultimately even though individuals have a choice choose you this day whom you will serve choose whether you're going to follow the lord you can believe or you can reject the gospel. It's your choice, it's my choice, but ultimately there is also a role the church plays. And in a sense, we kind of cast the deciding vote. Will the earth become more and more like heaven, or will it become more and more like hell? Think about this, Jesus said in Matthew 6.10 that we are to pray his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Satan wants his will to be done on earth as it is in hell. He wants that to happen. So we have a choice. We have a role to play. Isaiah says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The glory is here. God has given his glory to the church, but we need to arise and shine. It's our choice, it's our responsibility, the onus rests upon us. Will we arise and shine and will we see the glory of God manifested on the earth as God's people walk in that glory and reveal his power and we manifest and we demonstrate his kingdom authority on the earth. The end result will be if we choose to do this, Gentiles shall come to your light kings to the brightness of your dawning so kings leaders will come to god the world listen to me when when a nation is impacted in such a way that a king comes to god i'm telling you that nation will be impacted when when a nation sees the rise of godly men and women ruling in their nation that nation will experience change We see this repeatedly in the Old Testament. Ungodly, wicked kings, the nation turns away from God. God raises up godly kings, Hezekiah, Josiah, and others, and the nation turns back to God. There's revival, there's reprieve from judgment, and God does something in that season. I believe we are on the precipice, we literally are on the cusp that something's gotta give in this nation. If we do not see revival, if the church will not arise and shine, we are headed for dark and difficult days. Some people say it's the judgment of God, but I believe ultimately it is the fruit of our own choosing. That when we reject what God wants to do, and listen to me, when we talk about uh, these last days being perilous times, and we read this in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It's really, really, really profound what he says. You know, he says, Timothy, people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful, they'll be proud, they'll scoff at God. They'll be disobedient to their parents, they'll be ungrateful, they'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, they'll be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and they'll love pleasure rather than God. And then it says they will have, verse 5, 2 Timothy 3, they'll have a form of godliness but they will deny the power thereof. One translation says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Don't go to those churches. That's what Paul's saying. He said, they will act religious, but there will be no fruit. There'll be no fruit. It's like that tree that Jesus came to, and the figs were in season and he looked at it and there's no fruit, so he curses it. That's what many people's lives are like who profess to be followers, disciples, believers in Jesus Christ, no fruit. Jesus said every good tree bears good fruit. In John chapter 15, he was clear that if the tree does not bear good fruit, he said it will be cut down, thrown into the fire. He gives us time he gives us space. God is patient with us. He knows, especially when we first come to him, he knows that we, we there are things we got to work through. I'm not talking about that today. God is faithful. God is patient. But I'm talking about someone who says they belong to the Lord. They've been bought and purchased by his blood but there is absolutely no evidence of godliness, of holiness, of manifesting the life of Jesus Christ. There's no evidence of that in their life. The Bible says that only a bad tree bears bad fruit. So either, Jesus said it this way, so you either make the tree good or make the tree bad. In other words, listen, Martin Luther said many years ago, he said, it's not the fruit, that makes the tree good. But it's the tree that makes the fruit good. It's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but it's the tree that makes the fruit good. If a tree is healthy, it will bear good fruit. If a tree has blight, or sickness, disease, then it will bear bad fruit. It will bear toxic fruit. You know, there's a story told about about a farmer who literally planted uh, a fruit tree in, in, an, in an area on his farm, close to a, a stream, a brook, and you know, the fruit was just amazing. It tasted so good, but then he planted some trees in another part of, of, of the land that he owned, and, and he went and he ate the fruit of that one day, and he had to spit it out, it was so nasty, and turns out that, that there had been toxic waste in the soil in that area, and they had no idea so it's all about the roots it's all about what our roots are planted in what are our roots planted in we can have the bible calls it bitter roots and it says that let there be no bitter roots among you no root of bitterness I believe it's Hebrews 12:15. Let there be no bitter roots, because why? You're going to bear bitter fruit. Have you ever seen bitter people? Amen. I mean, everything they spew. The Bible says the fruit of our lips are to give thanks, but people that are bitter, they spew forth bitterness. It's just all toxic. I mean, you just you just get around them and you feel like you need to have a shower. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, ugh, get all this off me, man. You know? And and it's just nasty. And, and that's because there's a root that's bitter in their lives. Listen, this remnant that he writes about, he says they have root, they will take root downward and they're going to bear fruit upward. This remnant is a people who in these last days, they have put, intentionally put their roots in good soil. They've made a choice that they're going to put their roots down and they're going to bear fruit as a result. You know, in John 15, Jesus talks about the branch and the vine. He said, he was the vine, we are branches. Every branch that abides in him bears good fruit. He said, if we, on our own, we are incapable of bearing this good fruit. But if we abide in him like a branch abides in a vine, he said, you will bear fruit. And he continued and he talks about how you will bear much fruit and, and more fruit even in that passage. And it's all about a branch abiding. The word abide is a very interesting term. It means to stay permanently attached or connected. And the word abide in English, there's there's another word that's closely related and Jesus uses that same term in John 14 and it's the word abode. Abide, abode. Abide is a verb. Abode is a noun. A noun meaning it's a place, it's a residence, it's a house, it's, it's a home. But the word abode literally means a place of habitation, a place of permanent residence. God doesn't want weekend visitation rights. God wants to to know you. He wants to live with His children 24-7. In Him, we live and we move and we have our being, Paul said. You see, God wants us to live with him. He wants us to abide with him, to stay permanently connected to him. The key to fruitfulness is abiding. A lot of believers think that I just need to change my life. I got to stop thinking this way. I need to cease acting this way. I just need to... To change you know and 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 they try but they find that they're futile in their attempt and they fail and they struggle because they're trying to bear fruit by their own strength and power and God has never called us to bear fruit by our own strength and ability in fact what Jesus says in John 15 verse 4 and 5 essentially is this bearing fruit is a promise if you will abide in him you will bear much fruit bearing fruit is a promise we are not responsible for the promise god is but what he says is abiding is what we're called to do abiding is a process so bearing fruit is the promise abiding is the process god is responsible to see the fulfillment of the promise in our lives. But we are responsible to make sure that we engage in the process. For every problem you have in life, I can tell you unequivocally and confidently that God has a promise in his word. If you are facing this, God says, here's the answer. God says, if this is your challenge, here's the answer. For every problem, there is a promise. But let me also say that for every promise, there is a process. (laughs) Let me give you another example. In John, Matthew 6.33, not John, Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. The promise all these things will be added to you that's a good promise no stress right like god's going to take care of me but there's a process in that verse you me got to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness if we engage in the process god will fulfill the promise if we abide he will provide if we will stay connected to him if we will engage with him the word in greek abide is meno meno means to stay attached to not be disconnected if you plug something into an electrical outlet you know the power going to flow into it disconnected no power the branch as long as it's attached to the vine the life that is in the vine flows into it and the branch effortlessly bears fruit effortlessly let me like man I just need to bear fruit you ever look and see a fruit tree an orange tree or anything and you walk through an, or- an orchard or a grove and and man you all of a sudden you hear like mm-hmm. and it's like these trees are trying to bear fruit <laughs> like no they just hang out you know the, i mean the branches they just hang out they just stay connected to the to the trunk and the tree and the life from the root system flows into that tree and out into the branches and the branches bear fruit automatically without any effort because they just stay connected some of us we're trying to change our own strength and god says no no you can't do that just stay connected to me commune with me worship me obey me follow me trust in me lean on me give it up cease striving be still and know that i am god when it says to be still and know that i am god the word that he uses there for "know" is the Greek, ter- is the Hebrew word yada. Yada literally means this, hands stretch forth. I'm preaching a different message than I did in the first service. <laughs> but I'm going to land in the same place. The word be still and know is yada. Yada means hands stretch forth. And it speaks of worship. Isn't that powerful? And it literally means that when we stretch forth towards God, God stretches forth his hand. God will destroy our enemies. God will give us the victory. God will rout and discomfit the enemy if we will raise our hands and worship him when moses stood with his hands raised it literally speaks of the word yada and as his hands dropped when he became weary his arms and they propped those arms back up then he began to see the victory the bible says that If we want to press through in this season, in this dark and difficult time, if the church is going to see revival and the glory of God come to this nation, to this town, to to our families, to, to other nations even, we are going to have to be a people that have roots that reach deep. And the remnant who have escaped. Come on now. A remnant is what is left of a community after it's undergone destruction. A small minority of people that remain faithful to God in a time of apostasy and are so saved. Last man standing. What has happened to many of God's people? See, we're in a very crazy time. Do you know statistics say one-third of the churches in America are going to be shut down because of the result of COVID. One-third of the people that attended church regularly before COVID are not coming back. Half of the millennials that attended church, that attended church, there are not a lot of them, there's about 4 million in America, stopped attending church during COVID, half of them. The enemy is working hard. Seems every time we're taking ground, we're moving forward, boom, something else happens. And let me say, in some places, it's much worse. It's much worse. Still, for a year and a half, churches have not been meeting in some places in the world. Face to face, even in small groups, they've not been allowed to meet been over a year and a half. The enemy hates when God's people come together. Listen to me. Even though we're all responsible to have our own quote-unquote personal relationship with Jesus, the enemy knows that the gathering, the fellowship, the coming together, not forsaking the assembling together of yourselves, as some are in the habit. said Not forsaking. The enemy knows that. This is all about that. See, there's something that god is getting ready to do and let me tell you something when the bible talks about god equipping the saints through apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers ephesians 4 11, and 12. that word equip one of the ways it can be translated is to bring into alignment and literally speaks of like bones that have been disconnected and and uh you know that out of alignment and when you bring that alignment guess what happens when you, when your bones are out of alignment you can't function you can't function the way you were created to function and right now we have a lot of people that are out of alignment The church in many places is out of alignment. We're out of alignment with the word. We're out of alignment in our fellowship and our our communion with God, with the Holy Spirit. We're out of alignment in that we're not following God's purpose and design for our lives. We're just doing whatever we want to do. We're out of alignment in that we're disconnected from one another and we're just trying to do it on our own. In Ezekiel 37, the Lord showed me this. The prophet is called to prophesy to a valley of dry bones. You know the story. The Bible says that these bones are many and they basically cover this valley. But the bones, one translation says, they are scattered. And Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy to the bones. That God is about to send forth His breath. He's about to breathe life into these bones and they will come to life. God will raise up and resurrect. And the prophet begins to prophesy as he was commanded. And the first thing that happens is bone comes into alignment with bone. Bones begin to connect. And then what happens is sinew, flesh, skin appear upon this body or bodies. And then the next thing you know, God breathes his breath of life. And what happens, it is a prophetic picture of what I believe God is about to do, is there is an exceedingly great army that is raised up. God is about to raise up an exceedingly great army. But a lot of times, we've been praying for revival and God is saying, I can't give you revival because you're misaligned. You're out of alignment. We need reformation. We need need reformation just as much as we need revival. And one of the questions the Lord has had me asking his body as we travel and we minister in different places is simply this are you a body part or are you part of the body? A body part is like that bone scattered. And even though we are a part of the body in the sense that we are a body part and we are unique in the sense of our contribution and what our role is specifically in the body of Christ, We have to be connected to the body. The enemy hates when we are connected together. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Why? For there the Lord commands the blessing. There is a commanded blessing when we come together. It's not just agreeing to disagree. It's not just saying it's coming together in him, in Christ connected to the mind, connected to him, and his life is manifested. You see, this season in which we live demands that God's people come together, that we come into alignment, that we need one another more than ever. Every time the enemy says, social distance, uh, you know, lockdowns, don't get together, Even though I understand and I'm not advocating you go near someone who's sick, what I am saying is we have to realize that the power, the life comes to us when we're in communion with Christ and with one another. Because God has built his church in such a way that we don't just need Jesus, we need one another. Read Ephesians 4, through 16. You're like, I just need Jesus. Well, evidently, you don't know the word of God because there are over 60 times in the New Testament where we read these two words joined together, one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Over 60 times in the New Testament, how can you one another watching a YouTube video? And I love YouTube, I'm all over YouTube. But the point is, it's not a substitute. It might get us through for a season if we have to, but it will never substitute for the body of Christ coming together, being connected in alignment. Let me close with this thought. The remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward listen we are called to bear fruit fruit is simply this fruit when you see fruit on a tree it is the external visible physical manifestation of the invisible life that is in that tree or plant fruit is the evidence that there is life in that plant when people see the fruit of the spirit in our lives it's evident that the life of God is working in us for God is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure God is working in you bear much fruit bear much fruit the one who abides in me will bear much fruit You see this is the call but sometimes it seems like man i feel dry i feel like i'm in the desert i feel like i'm isolated and and disconnected well the lord has something he wants you to know in the book of jeremiah chapter 17 it speaks of those who trust in man who make flesh their strength their heart departs from the lord says, they're like a shrub in the desert. They will not see good when it comes. They inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and the salt land which is not inhabited. But in Jeremiah 17, verses seven and eight, it says this, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man, the woman, who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Do you know what that literally means in the Hebrew? It means who makes God their refuge. Who makes God their habitation. Who's connected. Who's abiding with God. And it says this. He will be like a tree planted by the waters. Which spreads out its roots by the river. Will not fear when heat comes. And, and its leaf will be green. And will not be anxious in the year of drought. Nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Why? Because sometimes we're like, I feel like I'm in the desert. God wants you to know, remnant people of God, that you are a tree planted by the water. That you are a tree planted by the water. Everything around you may be dissipating and drying up. But God says, listen, spread out your roots. For you will be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. The breakthrough comes when you spread out your roots this tree has a a taproot and when the ground dries up the taproot's kind of it's like it almost smells where the water is and the taproot begins to extend and begins to dig and it keeps going and going until it breaks through and finds the water and it begins to drink the water and the bible says that we're called to be like that we don't get bitter in the desert we don't become hardened in the desert, but the remnant of God says, I'm pressing through. I'm spreading out my roots. I'm going deeper than I've ever gone. Devil, you're trying to destroy me in this dry season of my life. But God has told me that if I'll just spread out my roots, if I'll just go deeper, I will find the times of refreshing that come from his presence. And I will bear fruit in all seasons of my life. I will not be anxious in the year of drought. My lease will be green. And I will never cease from yielding fruit no matter what is happening all around me, no matter what is happening with the pandemic, no matter what is happening with the economy, no matter what is happening in our world, and even though the enemy has come as as in great destruction and wrath, knowing his time is short, I am finding glory and strength and breakthrough because I have roots. I have deep roots and I'm bearing fruit Upward because my roots have gone deep downward. Come on, that's you, that's the remnant. That's the remnant. Don't give up, child of God. Don't be discouraged, child of God. How do I do this? You gotta go deeper. You gotta go deeper. Sometimes you can't go farther until you go deeper. You got to go deeper there's breakthrough there's refreshing there's provision there's healing there's deliverance no matter what you need it's available he is the one who brings healing and the times of refreshing do not believe the lie that God is unconcerned about you that God is abandoning abandon you or whatever you're thinking in your mind. Let me tell you, I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. That is the devil. That is the devil. God is there. He loves you. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Sometimes we have to remember that in Hebrews 11, 6, he is a rewarder of them that do diligently seek him. Sometimes we, we have to remind ourselves that James said that if we draw near, we draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto us. Lord, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you. And God says, you're waiting for me, but I want you to wait on me because as those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall, they shall mount up with wings of eagles. There's a big difference between waiting on God. Where are you? waiting for god and waiting on god there's a big difference i'm telling you this is a season where god is getting ready to do something powerful on the earth god is going to come in glory and in fire and he's going to set our kids free. He's going to deliver a generation from wickedness. He's going to set people free from the powers of darkness. God is going to do
0: something powerful, but he needs a remnant,
1: a remnant.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, please visit our website awakenations.org. Again, that website address is awakenations.org. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can receive powerful, life-changing teaching. We appreciate that effort, and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode of Kingdom Encounter.